0: And I serve as the lead pastor here and today we do begin a brand new series in the book of Colossians as uh, Liam shared already and I want you to um, join with me in reading the opening verses so please open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1 and if you don't have a Bible there's a, a red Bible hopefully near you and if you open that up to page uh, 1182 1,182 you should find yourself in the book of Colossians so let's pray as we come to God's word thank you our heavenly father that you have revealed yourself so clearly in history through your son the Lord Jesus and that we have this in your word, the Bible. Please open our hearts now to hear what you have to say to us. Please change us and shape us, that we would be a people who live for your glory, who live to declare the glorious riches of all that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we ask this in his precious name. Amen. Colossians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints, the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. You learnt it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. This is God's word. Well, please keep your Bibles open as we work through this section. Now, I want you to know because of my commitment to you to do thorough research, the Reese family undertook to travel to Turkey in the half-term October holidays, as we came to, knowing that I was going to be preaching from Colossians, and so we left Edinburgh. It looked like this on uh, October the 10th, and, and we went to a, found a cheap hotel deal in Bodrum. It looked like this on the 15th of October. It was tough. But for the sake of this church, we put our bodies under the harmful rays of the sunshine and the warm temperatures of 28 degrees. Several times we had to go into that sea just to cool our bodies that were going to overheat. So, you know, it was tough. But I want to show you, um, here's a map of what the region would have looked like. Uh, This this is the area that we know today as modern-day Turkey. Turkey. I've I've imposed where Bodrum is on on the map. I don't think Bodrum was there in the first century. Uh, uh, Certainly not how it looks today. But um, we we decided one day that we would hire a car and we drove the three miles from Bodrum up to Ephesus. Uh, And you can see the ancient ruins of Ephesus. It is quite incredible. If you ever get a chance, you must do it. It is a brilliant Thing. I mean, uh, they're still digging it out. They, we, they, they were showing us bits of wall that they just exposed. There's, there's huge sort of Roman charioting amphitheaters that they know are there. They haven't dug out yet. And uh, it was just a privilege to wander around these streets and think about the Apostle Paul in the first century, who spent at least probably about three years in this very place, uh, walking through the Agora, talking to people. Uh, that actually is the amphitheater that can hold about 25,000 people, where probably is where Gaius and Aristarchus were grabbed by a rioting mob, and for two hours they shouted, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! And all, and all of that was going on there, absolutely stunning. Uh, we, we, we thought about going to Colossae, which you see on the map. It's about 110 miles inland up the Lycus River Valley but I discovered from my uh, NIV study Bible that actually no one has ever excavated Colossae, and so we decided not to bother. So it kind of looks a bit like that. They haven't yet dug it up. They've got so much uh, fabulous stuff to dig up in modern-day Turkey. So that's kind of the area that uh, uh, the church where Paul wrote to, probably um, from uh, being imprisoned in Rome. Uh, Wherever I go, I find myself wondering, are there any Christians here? Uh, Is there a Christian church here? What would it be like to try and disciple people in this environment? And so it was a great joy a couple of Sundays ago to find a church in Bodrum. There is actually only one church in Bodrum, uh, Grace Church, and it's very close to the bus station. And we managed to find it. It was tucked away in the middle of nowhere. And we received a really warm welcome there. And uh, got to spend time talking to the pastor, Pastor Angine Duran. And it was very humbling just to talk to him about what ministry is like there in Turkey, where there's a lot of pressure uh, that is um, put on Christians, even though it's a secular country. And you can pray for them today. It's a big day of voting for in their elections in Turkey There's actually huge pressures because the Muslim community really don't like the Christians being there. There is only one church, one Christian church in Bodrum. And as I talk to the pastor, on the wall behind him is a picture of the three Christian men who were martyred about eight years ago by uh, Muslims uh, for their faith. And so it's very real, the challenge and the opposition that they're facing there. So you can pray for this brother. There was about 30 of us in the room at the most, mostly internationals. I counted about maybe six or seven Turkish believers. And yet, though we were strangers, and I'm sure you've had this experience yourself when you've traveled, though we were strangers, we felt a common bond with them. What is that common bond? Well, it's there in chapter 1 of Colossians in verse 2. To the holy and faithful brothers in Christ... At Colossi. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. Paul writes to a group of people who live in Colossi, but what links them together is that they are in Christ. In the original language, the word or is, this, is this to those in Colossi, faithful, holy, and faithful brothers in Christ. In Colossae, in Christ. Now, citizens of the UK, It would be pretty odd of us to describe ourselves as being in David Cameron or Queen Elizabeth. But it's not an odd thing to say for Christians that they are in Christ. Jesus Christ is so big, so significant, that he can encompass all believers in himself. All who trust him are fundamentally united with him, in him. And so the Bible says there are only two types of people in the world those who are in Adam and those who are in Christ. Uh, Those who are in Adam are part of the old humanity. Those who are in Christ are part of God's redeemed new humanity. It, It is a messed up world because when Adam, our first parent, disobeyed God, then all of humanity sinned and disobeyed God in him. And so every member of the human race has been born with this sinful nature that finds it natural to disobey God, to ignore God, which means that we're separated from him and deserving his condemnation. But God in in his kindness sent his one and only son to start a brand new humanity that through his obedience and his death upon the cross, uh, those who are in him by faith are forgiven and reconciled to God. They're part of god's family and so really the, you're here today there's people from all different nations of the world sort of situations and backgrounds but the truth is you're you're that one of two groups today either in adam or in christ what's true of you which one are you in for those in christ we find ourselves part of a bigger family than our biological family uh, we find ourselves becoming part of god's family Where God is our Father. So, this wonderful greeting of verse 2 Grace and peace to you from God our Father. Maybe we should start every morning service with that. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. What a great greeting. And so, in Bodrum, we weren't strangers, we were welcomed. Uh, uh, We were brothers and sisters together in Christ. And so we broke bread and drank wine and expressed our common unity together in Christ. It's a beautiful thing, isn't it? That's what unites us. Now, how does this happen? How, how can a church be there in Bodrum with all this pressure, all this difficulty? How was it that there was a church in Colossae? How, how are churches formed? How are they sustained? How are they kept on track? Well, these are sort of questions that are answered in Colossians chapter 1. See, as far as we know, Paul never visited Colossae, and yet he sits in prison, as I said, probably in Rome, and he writes this letter to an authentic Christian church. Now, how did this congregation come to exist? How do you plant genuine Christian churches? I mean, we we want to be a genuine Christian church, and we want to plant genuine Christian churches, so it's important that we get this clear. How do we do that? Well, there are three things I want to draw out from uh, these verses this morning. Three points. Firstly, a Christian church exists because God is at work. God is at work. At the start of this letter, he does not begin by congratulating them for their church. He starts by offering a full thanksgiving to God. Verse 3. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. A genuine church comes into existence and stays on track because God is at work in the world. If you wonder if there is a God, then look around this room. Wonder no more. We are here because God is at work in this world. It was true then and it's true today. And that's why Paul and Timothy and the team were in fervent prayer for this church, asking God to continue his work in them. Last week, one of the things that struck me from what David Horner said was this idea of Operation Push, P-U-S-H. Pray until something happens. And we mustn't lose sight of this as a church Uh, I I I love the new logo I love the website I think that's great but you know what the the Christian church will not grow through a cool logo and a cool website it requires the awesome power of God and the grace of God to be operational and and, and the only way we're going to see that is to be a people who call upon him in prayer Paul um, is always praying for them he's thinking about them now this church nearly closed after the first 100 years of its life. It becomes so small. But people prayed and revival broke out. Prayer is absolutely essential for a healthy church. And so please come to church again tonight to pray. Please think about the missionary prayer meeting so that our mission partners can be encouraged as we pray for them. And whenever Paul thought about this church in Colossae, he prayed for them. Uh, he spent time thanking God. Thanksgiving was something that was always part of his prayers because God was clearly at work. There was always thanksgiving when he prayed. Now, is that true of us? Lots of colds, aren't there, this time of year? Lots of coughs. But, you know, I want you to know that thanksgiving is the Vicks inhaler of the soul. Thanksgiving will help us overcome spiritual congestion and groaning. Spending time in thanksgiving reminds us of all the great ways that God is at work. It lifts our eyes to remember that God is answering our prayers. It is both a right response to God to thank Him, but you know what? The side benefit is that it promotes in us gratefulness, contentment, and joy. And so can I encourage you in this week, every time you go to your prayers this week, why don't you start off with with a period of time of thanksgiving. Spend a good few minutes thinking about the ways that God is at work and thank Him for it. i tell you what, your attitude will change. It'll be like Vic's inhaler to your soul. Wonderful. And do you know what? With Paul, I would say, don't just thank God for the stuff in your life be thankful for the ways that you see God at work in other churches because that's what he's doing. Uh, Charlotte Chabber is part of the Fellowship of Independent Evangelical Churches. There's about 530 odd churches. Next week, I'm going down to Norfolk to go to the Leaders Conference. And one of the great encouragements of that week is just to meet other pastors from around the UK and hear what God is doing in their churches and in their lives. There's always encouragement, and those who are discouraged can be encouraged by hearing what is happening elsewhere. I heard from Alan McKnight, who is the pastor of Harper Church in Glasgow, uh, that we can thank God for the growth of numbers that they're seeing in their membership. About seven years ago, I, I preached there, and they were aging and shrinking. But we can thank God that the membership has increased by 20%. And their Sunday morning meeting is getting very busy, he said. And there there, there is an increasing diversity in the congregation with about 15% being non-white Brits who are there. And there's more and more young people. Praise God. God is doing a great work there in Harper Church in Glasgow. Right next to the new BBC down there. We should be thanking God for these things. So why is Paul thanking God? What is the evidence that God's at work in a church? What would you say? How do you know God's at work in a church? Well, because the fruit of the gospel was evident in them. Let's have a look at that fruit. He's thanking God for his work in the gospel. That's what's going on in verses 4 to 6. Take a look at verses 4 to 6 and see these three gospel fruits. Faith, hope, and love. Verse 4. Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints, the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you've already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. Paul is writing to these Christians in Colossae because he wants to reassure them and encourage them that they have experienced a genuine work of God in their lives. I, I think this is really important because sometimes I think as Christians we can get discouraged in our lives and think... Uh, look, 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 look at our lives and think, well, it's pretty puny. Am I really a Christian? Is God really at work in my life? And we're surrounded really by ideas and philosophies and spiritualities that promise us, well, you know, if you come to us, we're going to give you something extra. We're going to give you something more. You can have a deeper experience of the divine. You can have a deeper spirituality. You can, um, that we have a secret to how you can live a more fulfilled life. How, a secret of how you can have more power in your life. And when you're feeling flat and discouraged, you think, oh, wow. They, they, you know, I need, I need to check this out. And so Paul writes these Christians because he wants them to know that actually these are false promises. He wants to encourage them that God was truly and genuinely at work in their lives and in their church. God was at work in the gospel. He had transformed them through his son when they responded to the good news about Jesus Christ. And look at how that's described in verse 5. How does God work in the world? He works through words. They heard words, words of truth, not hollow, deceptive lies. A recent poll I was hearing about in the last few days uh, in the UK population, a study of about 4,000 people said that only 60% thought Jesus was a real historical person. My friends, we better start talking to people to help the 40% not be so ignorant so that they uh, don't falsely think that he's a myth. No serious historian doubts his existence. We speak words of truth about true historical things, true realities. And God uses words of truth to change people's lives. This is how God is at work in the world. God had changed them by words of truth, the good news about Jesus, the gospel. That's what the gospel means, good news. The people in Colossae had heard the genuine gospel that was bearing the same fruit and growing wherever it went, all over the world. He wanted to know, he wanted them to know this, whether it was in Corinth or Ephesus or Jerusalem or Antioch or Thessalonica, the genuine gospel um, saves and transforms more and more people and changes their lives, producing real, lasting fruit. And they had heard exactly the same gospel in Colossae that was bearing the same fruit all over the place. It was not a defective gospel. There wasn't a better gospel than the gospel that they had hurt. He wants to reassure them. We need to be reassured, I believe, in this. We'll think in this series, I guess, about some of those hollow and deceptive philosophies that can sucker us to think that there's more elsewhere away from Jesus Christ. But Paul's message is stay rooted in Christ. It's all in him. Don't need to go anywhere else. Nowhere different. Nowhere better. It's all in Christ. Stay rooted in Christ. So what does the gospel produce? What's the fruit of the gospel? Well, we've thought about those three things. Firstly, faith in Christ Jesus. They had believed the message. They put their trust in it. And so now their whole lives were orientated and rooted in Jesus Christ. So who are we talking about in that church in Bodrum? Jesus Christ. Who are we talking about here at Charlotte Chapel? Our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the fundamental orientation and sphere of our lives as Christian believers. We are anchored and focused in him. And so that's what the gospel produces. This change of orientation. Before, when we're in Adam, well, life's all about me. It's all about me chasing my own happiness, my own reality, my own little world. And and, and actually, we're seeing a society where lots of those dreams are just looking disintegrated and empty and useless. But when the gospel comes, and you understand it, and you believe it, your fundamental orientation is in Jesus Christ, who never disappoints that's what this letter is saying the second fruit is linked with the first it is love for all the saints verse 3 the love that you have for all the saints which saints? St. Patrick? St. David? no, you know know who the saints are don't you? when you put your faith in the Lord Jesus you are a saint I am St. Paul we had St. Ian on the guitar earlier, St. Liam. We're all saints. We're all God set up up. St. Kino, I just saw smiling. St. Kino. There we are. Don't bother praying to St. Kino. Pray straight to the Lord Jesus. We're all saints. We're all saints. And, and actually, one of this wonderful things, when the, when the gospel comes, it enlarges our hearts so we care more than just for our biological family. We find that God is our father and we've got a whole new bunch of brothers and sisters and there is a genuine, real love for the, the family that God puts us in. And Paul can just thank God that he was so obviously at work in their lives because uh, their faith was made visible in lots of practical ways, that they were, the way, in the ways that they loved and cared for their fellow Christians in Colossae, as well as the other Christians that came to their church and that was in their area Laodicea, Herapolis, other places. And in verse eight, Paul describes their love as something that is produced by the work of God's Holy Spirit. My friends, it is so easy to be suckered into thinking that we that the only way we know God's Spirit is a work is through bizarre, strange events. People shaking, I don't know. People's legs getting longer. I don't know what people think. But do you want to know a genuine evidence of the work of God's Holy Spirit? Find a group of people who love fellow believers. There, the Spirit is at work. And praise God, His Spirit is at work in this church. I reflected back over the conversations I had of people I visited this week and people who saw me. And, it, and each one, actually, they spoke of the, of, of the practical ways other people were loving and caring for them. Isn't that wonderful? People, that weren't their family, were visiting and caring for them in their struggles and their difficulties because God's spirit is at work in this church. And we thank God for that, do we not? And so when you read of 57% in this recent poll who claim to be Christians in the UK and only 9% attending any sort of Christian church, what do you know? Well, you know that over 90% of the population are not genuine Christians. Otherwise, they would be members of Christian churches, vital parts of loving Christian communities. And when you find that, you know God's spirit is powerfully at work. And the third thing, the third evidence of of, of the gospel fruit was hope. Verse 6, the hope that is stored up for you in heaven. There are so many blessings that we experience now as Christians. The knowledge that our sins are forgiven. The power of Christ redeeming us and freeing us from old addictions and sin and wickedness that enslaved us a loving Christian family, and, and we could go on, the, the, uh, of, of the joy and the peace and the sense of purpose we can have now. But do you know what? With all, just as we think about all those blessings, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ tells us this, the best is yet to come. Isn't that fantastic? I love being a Christian now, but you know what? That, that's only a tiny fraction of the blessings of the gospel. The best is yet to come. What an encouragement to some of our older saints who are struggling and toiling with illness, old age, fading. The best is yet to come. Praise God. There's a sense in which the remarkable change that happens in a Christian's life is hidden to this world we look pretty ordinary but the truth is we're very rich people but because we have the Lord Jesus Christ in us the hope of glory and when he appears we will also appear with him in glory Paul's going to write later in this letter the best is yet to come and to each believer in the Lord Jesus here is a promise it is stored up for you it's reserved for you it's guaranteed your your name's on the box and it's in heaven where no one can teach it nobody can hack into your spiritual account and steal your details and rob you of this inheritance no one can do it it is safe stored up for you in heaven isn't that wonderful And so there was absolutely no doubt that God was at work in that church in Colossae. And that's why Paul just couldn't help himself thanking God as he thought about them. And briefly and finally, my my third point is that God was at work in the gospel, thirdly, through a faithful servant. Through a faithful servant. How did they hear the words of this gospel? Well, the answer is in the text. The answer is this man, Epaphras. Paul had not preached in Colossae. He probably stayed in Ephesus. And so Paul spent time in his thanksgiving to God to show that he, the apostle, fully backed the messenger, Epaphras. That, That Epaphras had faithfully communicated the message of the gospel to them. That's what he wants them to know. Verse 6, All over the world this gospel is bearing fruit, just as, as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. Isn't that great? The gospel is God's grace. Don't have to earn this salvation. Don't have to earn being right with God. He's done it all for us. He's paid it all. We just have to trust him. God's grace in all its truth. And they would heard that faithfully, through Epaphras, he kind of wants to underline it. They were not missing out in Colossae. They had an approved messenger. He was a dear fellow servant with Paul the Apostle. He he was a fellow servant, but also Paul really liked them. He was dear. He was a faithful servant of Jesus Christ, acting on Paul's behalf. Now, we don't know the facts, but probably Epaphras, um, Epaphras heard the gospel message from Paul, when he visited Ephesus. Was he a businessman? I don't know. Down in Ephesus on business? We're not sure. But he heard Paul teaching it in the hall of Tyrannus. He heard it, understood it, he believed it. And what did he do next? Well, when he went back to Colossae, he started sharing the message with others. And it wasn't just a one-off time either. It says in verse 7, you learnt it. There was something very deliberate about the way the uh, Epaphras passed on the gospel message. He took time to teach it until it was understood. And as people heard the message in Colossae, they also believed it and became Christians. And then what happened next? Well, they found that they had a new love for these other Christians who'd who'd recently become Christians. And so they started meeting together. What do you call that? It's a church. The church is formed by a work of God in the gospel through a faithful servant who communicates the message of the gospel. This is gospel growth. Through Paul, lunchtime Bible talks. Uh, he, people walk in the door. Epaphras shares the message, believes it. He's discipled by Paul. He's growing in Christ. He's trained by Paul so that when he goes back to Colossae, he can share it and people become Christians, believe it, and a church is formed. And the the work of the gospel goes on to another area inland, 110 miles out, and there are churches being planted around there. And the gospel is bearing fruit and growing. This is gospel growth. This is what we as elders and pastors are praying for and working for here in edinburgh that this would continue to happen here at charlotte chapel uh, i had a great joy yesterday of going to visit pascal and stephanie piper who a few years ago moved to inner Leithen. i don't forget the first sunday they turned up here it wasn't hard to miss pascal six foot eight tattoos on the side of his head and you know they came in as really friendly pagans. They were genuine pagans involved in um, occult and all sorts of um, strange ideas about who God was. And uh, they came along, and through Christianity explored, and through listening to Titus being preached Sunday by Sunday, God independently did an amazing work in each of their lives. They both came became Christians separately, and they were frightened to tell their partner in case the other person thought it was weird. And they had a delicious conversation. It came out. You believe it? I believe it. So God saved them both together. And they've been part of the life of this church. Even though they drove down to and they drove back up every Sunday for, for quite a while. I kept telling them they were crazy to do it and they should find a local church. And they now have found a church in Peoples, Peoples Evangelical Church. And it was such a joy to hear about how they get up early every morning to read the Bible and study it together and pray together. It was such a joy to hear about how Stephanie has just got a whole network of mums for whom she's the only Christian and she's just praying that the Lord give her opportunities to share the, the good news of the gospel with them. And, and they're going to this church, a small little church there in Peebles, and there's you know a smaller crowd of about 30 or 40 people and Pascal's saying, you know, I'm, I know, I'm terrified. They're going to ask me to be a leader and do things. Uh, And I know I probably must, and he's gearing up to thinking about how he needs to step up and help be a leader in that church. My friends, this is gospel growth, isn't it? This is what we're working towards. This is what we're praying towards. This is, this is why we labor together that people would be reached with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that they would be uh, followed up and, and well-rooted in Christ and grow in Christ and be equipped so that wherever they go, they will go with the gospel and that gospel growth will continue elsewhere. Our commitment to gospel growth is such that actually this church could actually get smaller because we might be planting churches where people head off. And so actually we might be a smaller crowd here, but because now there's a, a, a second and a third and a fourth church that's also in a new locality preaching the same gospel, overall there will be gospel growth. And that's what we long for. I'm quite happy for this church to grow bigger too. But you know the bigger agenda is gospel growth. How glorious is the Lord Jesus Christ. How gracious is our God who continues to work in this world in the gospel through a faithful servant who passes on the gospel. Are you a faithful servant like Epaphras? Do you know what the gospel is? Can you articulate the gospel? We live in a culture that's ignorant about the basics. 40% don't even think Jesus really existed ignorance such as ignorance and if you know the gospel and you can articulate that are we going to be faithful servants of christ jesus to pass on something about the lord jesus in this week ahead i really believe he's pulled us together as members of this church to be missionaries into this city and into this nation of scotland and into the united kingdom that's why he's put us together Do you see this fruit in your life? Are you trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord? Do you love and care for fellow Christian believers? Do you live your life with priorities shaped by the return of Jesus Christ? Is, do you see that fruit in your life? If the answer is yes, I do. Thank God. Thank God he's at work. Be like Epaphras. He wants to keep using you. Be patiently teaching others the good news. It might be just little bits into people's lives. Little practical ways that we love and care and then sharing for the hope that we have. But are we looking to put something into other people's lives like Epaphras and prayerfully look to God to bring fruit and new life? well if the answer is as you look at your life think well no i'm not trusting jesus christ i really don't care about other christians and i'm not really thinking much about this return of christ then i want to say to you you need to get clear about the gospel of the lord jesus and we want to help you to know and understand it let us know if it's not clear We'll we'll run Christianity explored courses. We'll we'll read the Bible with you one to one. We'll pray with you. That God will give you understanding and help you respond to the gospel. Uh, We would say to you, the thing to do is put your trust in Christ. You must do that. You must turn from your old life of uh, of living for yourself, of being in Adam, uh, and turning to trust Christ, so that you would be in Christ. You can do that today. You could do that today. Just turn to him. If you don't know how to do it, come and speak to me. I'd love to help you. Uh, Liam would love to help you. I'm sure they're surrounded by lots of Christians who'd love to help you, but come and speak to me. I'd be delighted to spend the time with you. My friends, what a joy. God is at work. Isn't that thrilling? You're probably thinking, you know, I do see those things, but not as much as I'd like. Well, praise God you see something of those things. Don't be discouraged by the, all the ways that you fall shot Rejoice that there is gospel fruit. You've got the real deal. Stay rooted in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this practical letter that Paul wrote so long ago and the truth that was true. For those people in Colossae, we thank you that you are the same God and so that truth is true for us today. And so now speak into each of our hearts and lives as you, uh, Lord, by your spirit, push these words of scripture, these words of the gospel deep into each one of our hearts and lives that that gospel fruit may grow and spread through us. We ask this in Christ's precious name. Amen.